chapter 32. So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, said, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom, but it is the spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that gives him understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who, are, who understand what is right. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke, I listened to your, re your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you my full attention, but not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Do not say we have found wisdom. Let God refute him, not man. But Job has not marshaled his words against me, and I will not answer him with your arguments. They are dismayed and have no more to say. Words have failed them. Must I wait now that they are silent, now that they stand there with no reply? I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know. For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. I will show partiality to no one, nor will I flatter any man. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've uh, been following the story of Job and we've been uh, living in the storms of life. Uh, we began uh, a few weeks ago, back in Job chapters 1 and 2, uh, the calm before the storm when the uh, author of Job uh, painted that lovely tranquil picture um, of Job's life, which was the perfect life. He was a perfect man, uh, had all those sheep and camels and donkeys. Uh, and God said of him that he was um, without sin, that he was an innocent man. And that's the, the thing that we learned in the story of Job, that uh, Job was an innocent man. And then we moved to that strange uh, heavenly scene where uh, God and the Satan have this rather troubling conversation um, in which the Satan suggests that the only reason that Job serves God is because of the way that God has blessed his life. And if God was to remove those blessings, uh, then he thought that Job would curse him. And then we saw how uh, Job's life fell apart and how uh, everything that he had was destroyed. And then uh, we joined Job after the storm. And... Uh, we saw that, that Job was uh, a little bit troubled about what was happening to him and uh, trying to work it out and uh, he, was, uh, he was angry, he was upset, he was frustrated uh, about all the things that was happening. And, uh, and then we, last week we were, we were with Job as his three friends arrived uh, to uh, console with Job, uh, to sympathise with him and uh, we, we looked at the, the three friends and the conversation that they had with Job about what was happening to him as they tried to work out, uh, you know, why it was that Job was suffering. And uh, this week we're continuing 
this week we're chasing the storm and uh, we're in Job chapters 32 to 37 Uh, Peter just read to you chapter 32 and uh, again we're we're dealing with a big chunk of scripture uh, five uh, chapters not quite as many chapters as we were looking at last week I was reading about one person who who did a series on Job who did it a chapter at a time and he took the congregation through the book of Job over 42 weeks which was almost a year and I felt that might be a little bit too much so we've condensed uh, the book of Job it might not feel like it but we've condensed it uh, into six weeks looking at Job and uh, this week we're looking at those chapters so it, it, it shouldn't be too long sermon don't worry but uh, coffee will be served afterwards <laughs> if not during and uh, as we join uh, chapter 32 we recognise that, uh, that the friends have stopped speaking and at the end of chapter 31 it says the words of Job are ended so Job stopped speaking and Job's three friends um, have stopped speaking and then out of nowhere uh, suddenly uh, we're introduced to a new character um, I'm Elihu son of Barakal the Buzite I don't know about you but some, there's some great names isn't there there's some great names isn't there uh, and that's one of them Elihu son of Barakal the Buzite and uh, he appears out of nowhere and some people have, have suggested that, that maybe the book of Job uh, wasn't penned just by one person because uh, we seem to have this character who's never been mentioned before who suddenly appears uh, but we're looking at the, the book as, as a whole so that's just a, uh, an interesting uh, aside and, uh, and we meet uh, ba- Elihu, son of Barakai, Parakel the Buzite and uh, he, Elihu breezes in and the first thing that we notice is he's, he's an angry young man Elihu breezes, breezes in full of anger he's an angry young man and uh, we, we, we read that, uh, that Elihu son of Buzite of the family of Ram became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God he was also angry with the three friends because they'd found no way to refute Job and yet he had condemned him and Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he but when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say his anger was aroused three times uh, just in case we didn't get it it's mentioned that Elihu was angry so uh, bursting into the scene is this angry young man and uh, one of the things that we've been doing during this series is issuing storm warnings and uh, here's a storm warning you know, uh, dangerous to speak when you're angry it's dangerous to speak when you're angry we've all done it and we've all said things uh, that later we wished we hadn't said uh, because of the anger that was rising within us and so just a a little storm warning there and uh, David Atkinson in his book on Job he says this Elihu is an enigma a puzzle a riddle he blusters onto the stage as an angry young man full of his own importance offering to clarify the situation for Job and his friends angry with the muddle they've got themselves into and so uh, an angry young man I don't know about you but when I was 20 um, I thought I knew everything. Did you? Some of you might still do, but uh, uh, as I've got older, one of the things that I've, one of the lessons that I've learned is, is some things that I thought were black and white uh, somehow seem a little bit more grey now. And uh, some of the certainties that I held when I was twenty, uh, I'm not so sure. And that's not because my faith has diminished. 
But actually, as I've grown in faith, I've actually learned that, that life is a little bit more complicated than perhaps I thought it was. And that God is perhaps a little bit more complicated than I thought he was. And one of the things that Job has introduced us to is a God, you know, that perhaps isn't as black and white as we thought he was. And so, uh, here we have it. Uh, Elihu. Chasing the storm. He's chasing the argument. So what's he angry about? What is it that's so angry about? What is it that makes him angry? What is it that makes him angry? Well, first of all, he's angry with Job uh, because he was justifying himself rather than God. He's angry with Job. He's angry with Job because Job is, is saying that I'm right and that God isn't treating me fairly. And this makes Elihu angry. He's, uh, he's angry with the free friends, so this is consistent in his anger. He's angry with everybody. Uh, I don't know about if you met people like that, they're just angry. Uh, there's this anger under the surface that kind of spills over and boils out. And it, at least he's consistent. He's angry with Job and he's angry with the free friends because they've not found any way to refute Job. He didn't feel that the free friends had really answered some of the difficult questions that Job had raised about why he was suffering. Job is saying, it's not fair. Whatever it is I've done, I didn't deserve the amount of suffering that I'm experiencing. And Elihu thinks the friends should have come up with better answers uh, to his questions. So he's, he's angry. And uh, he's angry that the free friends have nothing more to say. He's like, well, is that it? Um, you know, they have been speaking for, what was it, 30 chapters. We had a, a very long conversation, didn't we, with the friends. Uh, some of us might have felt be glad that they've stopped speaking. Uh, because they, you know, started to repeat their arguments uh, with Job. But uh, I, Elihu's not, not, ha- not a happy chappy. He, he's angry uh, about the fact that they haven't been able to answer. And sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes we do get frustrated when we can't find an answer. Sometimes we do get frustrated, don't we? When uh, people don't act in the way that we would like them to, to act. And uh, we've got another storm warning here. Another storm warning. Uh, Elihu actually gets angry about the wrong things. He actually gets angry about the wrong things. He's angry at Job, he's angry at the friends. Um, but really, he should have been angry about the situation that Job found himself in. He should have been angered about the suffering that was before him. Should have been angry about that. I don't know about you, sometimes we do get angry about the wrong things, don't we? You know, we should be angry about what's going on in Africa now. When we see those pictures on our television sets, it should make us angry. Because there is enough food and water in the world. And it should make us angry that these people are suffering uh, needlessly, just because uh, there's not a fair distribution. We should be angry about some things. There's nothing wrong with getting angry. Um... But very often we get angry about the wrong things, like Elihu, uh, you know, we get angry when we don't get our own way. Uh, we get angry when people don't say what we want them to say. Uh, sometimes we get angry because people speak too much. Sometimes we get angry because people don't speak enough. Elihu was angry about the wrong things. And there's a warning there, you know, what do we get angry about when we get angry? Uh, you know, ask yourself, the next time you feel really angry, you know, try and stop and, and kind of step aside and think, well, what is it that's angry me? Uh, is it this situation or is it something else? And uh, is it something I should be getting angry about? Uh, sometimes, I don't know about you, I get angry with myself. Uh, because I realise uh, that I'm not doing what I should be doing. So, Elihu breezes in and he's full of anger. He's, he's an angry young man. And then secondly, uh, Elihu, he breathes him full of himself. Uh, 
full of self-importance. He's, he's already said, you know, that he doesn't, he doesn't think that the three friends have, have really done a good job in answering Job. He's not happy with Job because of the questions that he's asked about God. And uh, he's full of himself. And he says, I too will have my say. I too will tell you what I know. For I am full of words. I've met a few people like that, have you? <laughs> full of words. And, uh, you know, you wonder when are they going to stop speaking? Uh, you enter into a conversation with them and uh, you're kind of waiting for your turn to speak and it doesn't come and uh, that can be frustrating and sometimes you can get angry I've met lots of people that are full of words uh, that think they know everything you know, whatever the subject is uh, they've got a story to tell you about it they've got an experience Uh, Elihu uh, is going to have his say and he's full of words and not only that, he says I get my knowledge from afar ooh I get my knowledge from afar. Where do you get your knowledge from? Where do you get your knowledge from? Elihu, it makes it kind of, you know, a bit of a, again, he's referring, he's almost, he's suggesting that his knowledge is better than everybody else's because it comes from afar. There's that that idea that because he's getting his knowledge from somewhere else, it's going to be better than the knowledge that Job and the three friends have. Uh, Be assured that my words are not false. In other words, I'm speaking the truth. And if I'm speaking the truth, you're not. I'm right, you're wrong. I've met a few people like that as well. Who uh, are so convinced that they're right. You know, that they're not going to listen to anybody else because they're right. And therefore, everybody else is wrong. And then he says, one perfect is in knowledge is with you. One perfect in knowledge. So Elihu has got quite a high estimate of himself. You know, how many of us would say that we are perfect in knowledge? I certainly wouldn't. Um, You know, but here he is. He's full of himself. He's full of his self-importance. And you can imagine, because uh, the idea is that, obviously, he's been waiting to speak. He talks about the fact that he was respectful of, of his elders, that he waited until they finished speaking before he was saying. But it was that lovely phrase about, you know, he was like a, a wine scheme waiting to burst out. He couldn't wait to, to give his point of view, to put his, his slant in on the arguments that the three friends and Job have been having. And uh, he feels that he's got something to say. And he says, listen to me, because, you know, I'm one who is perfect in knowledge. So he breezes in full of himself. And uh, we can imagine, you know, what Job might be thinking. Just what I need, another meaningful, helpful friend. And, uh, you know, some of us have been visited by people like Elihu and the three friends, who actually don't help us in our suffering, do they? Who actually don't help us, in some senses, actually add to the difficult situations, because they're going to explain exactly what's happening. And uh, sometimes it's better. And Elihu, he, he repeats the same mistakes as the three friends. Although he says he's, he's full of knowledge and he's got all these things that he wants to say, uh, actually, if you read through the conversation that he has, uh, some of the things sound strangely familiar. Uh, he can't get away from this idea of uh, divine retribution. He says, talking about God the Almighty, he can do no wrong, he repays a man for what he has done, he brings upon him what his conduct deserves. And do you remember we said last week that this was the, the, the kind of uh, thinking of Job and the three friends, but also Elihu, that you get what you deserve in life. 
And, uh, you know, in the opening chapters, you know, everything was in harmony. uh, Job was living the perfect life, and he was being blessed by by God with all these camels and sheep and donkeys, and he had the perfect family, and everything was great. And, uh, you know, he was being treated how he deserved as far as Job and everyone else was concerned. But when everything goes wrong, and he loses everything, the three friends... And Elihu here can't get away this idea that Job must have done something wrong to deserve this because you get what you deserve in life, as far as they're concerned. You get what you deserve in life. And he can't get away from that, from that thought. He also ends up, because of that, condemning Job. You see how this, this happens. Because he, he, he's come to the conclusion that in life you get what you deserve. If people are suffering, they must have done something wrong to deserve it. What have I done to deserve this? Is a question that so many people ask. Well, as far as Elihu and the three friends are concerned, you must have done lots of things because your suffering is so terrible. And he says in, this, in chapter 34, uh, 35, he says, Job speaks without knowledge. Remember, this is Elihu, the one in perfect knowledge. Job speaks without knowledge. His words lack insights. Oh, that Job might be tested to the utmost for answering like a wicked man. To his sin, he adds rebellion. Scornfully, he claps his hands amongst us and multiplies his words against God. And can you see how dangerous it is? Because he makes a judgment about Job, um, he starts to condemn him and uh, to, to, con- to conclude with the three friends that he must be a terrible person because of the amount of suffering that he's experiencing. And so he calls for Job to repent. And uh, if he repents, he says, he will prosper. And again, this is in uh, chapter 36 and verse 11. If they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. And what Elihu actually does here is, you remember back in chapter 1 when, when God is having this conversation with the Satan character that we weren't very happy about, uh, the accusation was that the only reason why Job was serving God was because of the hedge that he'd built around him and all the good things uh, that God had given him. And here, Elihu actually ties himself in with that way of thinking. You know, Job, if you just repent of, from, from, from all these sins in your life, then you will prosper again. And, uh, and today you will find this kind of teaching, you know, it's called the prosperity gospel. You know, that if you do what God says, that God will bless you with this and that. And of course, it's a load of rubbish. It's a load of rubbish. Um, and we know that. And Job himself knows that because he knows that he's not a terrible person. But Elihu comes to the conclusion um, that the only way that Job can get out of this mess is if he confesses to God and then God will bless him again. And he falls into that trap that the Satan character in chapters 1 and 2 had laid, trying to, trying to suggest that the only re- reason anybody serves God is for what they get out of it. And uh, you and I know, uh, let's not forget that you and I know because we were, we were taken behind the scenes at the beginning of the story, and we know that Job is perfectly innocent, that God himself said that Job is innocent. So we know that Elihu is wrong, that we know that he's wrong. He repeats the same mistakes. And again, a storm warning, you know, uh, might we have some ideas about God that are wrong? Might we have some ideas about God that are wrong? You see, Elihu, like the three friends, are good God-fearing people. It's just that some of their ideas that they had about God were completely wrong. 
And uh, we can make the same mistakes, you know, we can have ideas of God that are completely wrong. We can be good people, we can be seeking to serve God, uh, but we can still get it wrong. And you see the consequences in the way that they treated this poor Job when their ideas were wrong. We see it in the New Testament, you may recall in John chapter 9, you know, uh, Jesus comes across this man who was born blind. And the disciples, again, applying that doctrine of retribution, asked the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, the reason for this man being born blind was of some fault, either in this man or in his parents. And how does Jesus reply? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Jesus is saying, again, speaking out against this idea that all those that suffer deserve it. All those that suffer don't deserve it. So there's a storm warning, you know, might we be too quick to make judgments? And the result being that we're lacking in compassion because the, the thing that shouts out to us in the book of Job, the three friends in Elihu lack compassion on somebody that's really suffering, somebody that's really going through it because they're so concerned with getting their theology right and doctrine right and so concerned about the questions that Job is asking about God and saying that it's not fair that they lack the compassion that all of us need to have. We sometimes sing the song, don't we? Everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a saviour. And uh, we, the storm warning is, just be careful, you know, when you're making judgments about people, that you don't fall into the trap that the three friends have, that you, you leave yourself cold and heartless. Uh, because we have a compassionate and caring God, and we see that in Jesus. So don't be too quick to make judgments. In a book that I've recommended before, the shack, William P. Young, the character Mac, says this, he's going through a lot of trouble. And he says there are a lot of smart people who are able to say a lot of right things from their brain because they've been told what the answers are. But they don't know me at all. So really, how can their answers be right? Even if they are right, if you understand my drift. So even though they might be right, they're still wrong. Even though they're right, they're still wrong. You know, we can be right in what we say about God, but wrong in the way that we apply it. Because all these things that, that Elihu and his three friends and the three friends say are actually right and correct, but it was a wrong application. It was wrong to uh, applicate it to Job. It was a wrong diagnosis of his situations. So we need to be careful. We can be wrong, even when we're spouting good theological doctrines. We can be wrong. So Elihu breezes in full of himself and it's just a danger, isn't it? Let's not be too full of ourselves. Let's not be so full of ourselves uh, that we turn into uncompassionate people, uncaring people. But finally, there's something good to say because Elihu does breeze in full of God. He's got some great things to say about God. He is a godly person. He genuinely thinks that he's come on the scene to help and to offer words that will encourage and inspire Job. And uh, he talks about how great is God. How great is God. In 36 and, uh, and, 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 and verse 26, he says, How great is God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. In other words, God is so big and so great, we don't always understand him. And that's something that is good. He says that uh, God does speak. One of the things that Job's been asking is he's saying, you know, God hasn't answered me. 
I've prayed to God, I've shouted at God, I've talked to God, and I've received no answer. And Elihu suggests that sometimes God speaks in different ways, and that maybe we don't always recognise the way that God speaks. For God does speak, he says in verse 14, now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. And he points out to Job that, that God speaks in all sorts of different ways, and sometimes we don't see it. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And then he, he has this idea, this angelic mediator on his side. And this again is in, is in chapter 33, when he talks about, yet if there is an angel on his side as a mediator, one out of a thousand to tell a man what is right for him, to be gracious to him, and say, spare him from going down to the pit. And David Klein's in his book on Job, he points out that a key element of the speech has been the cameo depicting the righteous man in change of his life, who's redeemed by this intervention of an angel. Job must surely be intended to identify with such a person. This is the most supportive address to Job we have heard so far in the book. So again, there's this idea uh, that, you know, there's somebody that mediates on our behalf. But Kleins goes on to say that nevertheless, it still leaves Job in the lurch. What is, he, what is he to do? Stay on the ash heap, hoping for a passing angel to come by. It doesn't really uh, offer the compassion to Job that he needs. Although, he's offering him some theological insights. And sometimes, you know, when people are in trouble, when people are struggling, uh, what they actually need is friends to come by and just be with them and to support them and help them and encourage them. And, uh, you know, he does, he does breeze in and he is full of God. He wants to be full of God and that's a good thing to say about Elihu. Um, Peter Bloomfield in his book about Job says his explanation is full of gospel emblems. He shows us that somehow God uses the suffering of an innocent man to bring about the richest blessings possible for sinners. Somehow the greatest blessing for simple man is connected with the greatest suffering of an innocent man. And so he makes that connection that that the three friends weren't able to make between suffering and God's blessing, which is the opposite of that idea of divine retribution. If you like, he turns it on his head that sometimes through suffering, suffering, God can actually bless us. And of course we know that to be true because Jesus came and he died and he suffered before he rose again so that we might receive an eternal inheritance. It was through the suffering of Christ uh, that you and I are blessed. And so he breathes in full of God. And uh, one of the things Elihu does is he prepares us to hear from God. Because God is going to speak into this situation. Job's been waiting a long time, but God is going to speak. And he prepares us to hear from God. And this is at the end of his, near the end of his speech. He says, he draws up drops of water which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour out their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds? How he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. This is the way he governs the nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. At this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice. He prepares Job to hear God speak out of the storm. 
And David Atkinson picks it up. He says, in the book of Job, these chapters form a bridge between the word of Eliaz, Bildad and Zophar, and the word of the Lord from the whirlwind. They soften us, prepare us, and begin to show us what an encounter with the Lord will be like. And again, some final words from Job 37. Out of the north he comes in, golden splendour. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore men revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? And Elihu prepares Job to hear from God. If you want to find out what, uh, what God says, how God answers Job out of the storm, then you're going to have to come back next week. And uh, you might want to be reading during the coming week, uh, Job 38 through to 41, to hear what God says when he speaks out of the storm. Next week, the story of Job continues.